is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Hey, man, take off your glasses. I thought that was you, man. You almost got busted. I did get busted. I lost my whole investment because of you. Vinny, what the hell is wrong with you, man? You know I'm a businessman. I got to work. What? You come inside here half hour late, and on top of all that, you're going to bring the goddamn cop with you, too? What are you talking, cop? He ain't no cop. That's Dirty Harry himself, man. What the fuck is wrong with you going to bring him in here? You calling me a cop? You definitely a cop. Welcome, everybody, back to an episode with no cops. I'm not a cop. Jesse, are you a cop? I ain't no cop. I'm not a cop either, so good, we're good, we're great, all right. Hey, you should visit everybody. Continuing our, or finishing up our trilogy of Black History Month films, celebrating excellence in film. And this week we're going to be talking about excellence in sequel-itis as well, wink, wink, as we cover Beverly Hills Cop 2. My opinion, one of the better sequels uh, of the 80s, for sure. Uh, and also, happy World War Three Day. Uh, Russia has officially started attacking Ukraine, and we're at the precipice of World War Three. so... Yeah, it's your prize for <sighs> surviving a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, your prize is World War Three. God damn it! So, yeah. Well, hopefully, you know. Hopefully, you know, we'll see how it goes. But uh, <laughs> Vegas odds say it's not going to be good. So, anyway, let's lighten the mood. Attempt mm-hmm. to by talking about a comedic classic, Beverly Hills Cop Two, released May twentieth, nineteen eighty seven. IMDb gives it a 6.5. Rotten Tomatoes critics did not really care for this. 47%. Uh, 57% audience. So uh, between the Rotten Tomatoes critics, audience, and IMDb, it's kind of that mid-range, you know, low is 47, high is 6.5. So made on an estimated $28 million budget. Pretty big budget for a comedy, especially. It's not Ghostbusters, but special effects. Uh, opened, however, number one, the biggest opening haha, of 1987 at $26.4 million. Almost made its budget back in its opening weekend. Uh, pretty big for the time, especially uh, being a, com- a comedy sequel. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would guess maybe only the Hangover series saw uh, returns that big uh, on opening uh, by comparison. Yeah, it was Like I said, it was the num- uh, biggest opening weekend of the year. Uh, it opened at number one, obviously. Number two, however, got to give shout out to good old Ernest P. Worrell because Ernest Goes to Camp was number two, but <laughs> a distant number two, a $20 million distant number two. It made 6.1 that weekend when it opened. More on that on our episode that we covered a long, long time ago right here on the podcast. Beverly Hills Cop 2 or BHC 2, as I will not remember to call it for the rest of the episode, <laughs> went on to gross domestically. One hundred and fifty-three point six million worldwide knocked on the door of three hundred million, two hundred and ninety-nine point nine million worldwide, making sure that we would at least get a third one, which we did. Which I think three might have been ninety-nine like early. I don't think I don't, know if, I don't know if part three was in the eighties. I don't remember. I remember not liking part three as much. Uh, spoiler alert: I like this one. Uh, directed by the late great Tony Scott, brother of Sir Ridley. Uh, he's late because he jumped off a bridge here in Los Angeles. Uh, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also veteran of the podcast. He did Top Gun, uh, Crimson Tide, True Romance. Very, very skilled uh, and talented action director. Uh, Ridley, I think, is, you know, in his in the 80s in this time period, you know, I think Ridley was the better director, although, I don't know, I can't tell you, that, what was the last good Ridley Scott movie, uh, directing-wise? Really? Uh, mm. uh, Gladiator? I don't know. Oh, wow. I feel like he really kind of... 
I feel like, well, visually, I like Prometheus, uh, but it had a lot of storytelling problems. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I mean, Ridley Scott used to be my favorite director. Like, I would fight you. Like, I mean, Legend, Blade Runner, Alien. I mean, he has iconic classics uh, that are, you know, revered for the directing, for the look of it. He inspired you know, neo-noir cinema, you know, especially Blade Runner. I mean, Jesus. I mean, that's that's the archetype still to this day. Uh, CD Projekt Red, Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah, Blade Runner. It's everywhere still to this day because of him. But uh, he, you know, like, Ste- you know, Stella got her groove back, but Sir Ridley has yet to get his groove back. But however, his brother, Tony, uh, I think from, you know, his first film to up to his last, he pretty much, you know, he had a style. He was consistent uh, with his skills of dire- as a director, Throughout his entire career, I'd say, uh, very good director. Sadly missed. A uh, very good action director too. Had a good sense for, uh, you know, where Michael Bay is more like kinetic, like bam, boom, bang, boom. Tony Scott was more like, okay, story, action, story, action. He integrated them really well. Uh, so yeah, like Tony Scott, very good director. Uh, written by Larry Ferguson, he wrote Highlander and The Hunt for Red October and Warren Scarin. He wrote. Speaking of it again, Top Gun and a duo of Burton classics, Beetlejuice and Batman. And it should be noted, too, there, there are people, other, other people had story credit and stuff like that. But most notably, Eddie Murphy also had a story credit on this one. But in terms of the actual screenplay, it was Ferguson and Scar. And cinematography was Jeffrey L. Kimball. Mr. Kimball, uh, another Top Gun alumni. He also did Mission Impossible 2 with John Woo and every 90s teenager's favorite movie for a while. Wild Things with Nev Campbell and uh, what's her name, Denise Richards. Uh, so yeah, uh, Tony Scott liked his crew. You know, he liked his writer. He liked his cinematographer uh, and the music. Harold Faltermeyer, in addition to also doing the music for Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop Two, he's the writer of Axel F. And you know what? If you I mean, that's him. Spot on. Uh, but also, he did the score for The Running Man and Top Gun. So that same guy did Axel F. So very talented, underrated, I would say, uh, underappreciated for sure. Because uh, you know, if you would have asked me who did the score for Top Gun, I, uh, I know it's not Kenny Loggins because <laughs> he just did Danger Zone. You know, I couldn't I couldn't tell you offhand who did the actual score, but you know, now I'm I have evolved as a better person to know that Harold Faltermeyer, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, two of the most iconic themes of the '80s for sure. Especially Axel F, which was like a, they played on the radio. You know it's a hit if they played your score on the radio. Mm-hmm. So, but of course, starring the great, you know, had a bit of a dip in his career, but he's, you know, seemed to be on the, he seems to be on the upswing, even though coming to America, the number two didn't seem to do as well as projected. But hey, you know, triplets, sequel to twins with him and Arnold and hopefully maybe DeVito, you know, that that's kind of in development hell. And then, uh, you know, Beverly Hills Cop 4, bring it back, man. It's time. I'm here for it. Uh, but Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley, of course, Beverly Hills Cop 1 through 3, Coming to America, Trading Places, which we just covered, uh, SNL. I mean, the man who single-handedly saved Saturday Night Live. We still have Saturday Night Live because of Eddie Murphy. Facts. Uh, great comedian, of course, you know, by today's standards, just like we talked about Richard Pryor and, you know, Carlin, all the, all the, com- all the great comedians of yesteryear are not quite up to snuff by today's standards in terms of the culture, so to speak, but nevertheless, hilarious comedian. Eddie Murphy raw was iconic, uh, back in the day. Uh, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you, if you, if you're older brother or sister or parents let you listen to raw, 
back in the day in the 80s in school, you were one of the cool kids. So otherwise you had to like lie about it. Or like, oh, wait, yeah, I saw it. I remember the joke about uh, farting in the tub or whatever. You have to like remember the jokes that other people told you were said to bring into another conversation to pretend to be cool, which I had to do a couple times. So it's <sighs> just the way you growing up on the hard streets of Walker, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. What can I say? Anyway, also starring 80s icon, Judge Reinhold. He's not a judge. Uh, actually, I looked it up because like that's an odd name to give a kid. He was Judge is not his real first name. It's his screen name. But it is his nickname that his parents gave him because he, quote, looked very stern and judgmental as a child. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, honestly, you know, he, he always looks so happy and everything, you know, in Fast Times, uh, Santa Claus, uh, Ruthless People, Jesse, which we actually were talking about earlier with Danny DeVito. Off mic. Uh, John Ashton is Taggart. He was in Midnight Run. Lots of TV, including, as always, like to bring it up, an episode of Hardcastle and McCormick. And he also stars in next week's movie, our next step, our next stop, I should say, our next uh, symptom of sequelitis as we talk about King Kong Lives. So look for John Ashton in that one as well. The lovely uh, Brigitte Nielsen as Carla, of course, veteran of the podcast, Rocky Four, Red Sanja. Uh, another veteran of the podca- po- podcast, <laughs> podcast, Ronnie Cox says Bogomil. He's the uh, lead uh, detective. The him right there we just saw in our picture, Jesse. They get uh, shot. But most notably, he is the villain. He's Dick Jones from RoboCop. Uh, also Deliverance. Uh, very good character actor. Very, uh, you know, been in a ton of stuff. You've seen him in something. But to me, he'll always be Dick Jones from RoboCop because he's so, so damn villainous in that movie. Uh, speaking of villainous, Paul Reiser as Friedman in this. Of course, you know, he's great. He's funny in this. He's relatable in this. He's great and mad about you, which I'm assuming because I never watched that show. But he was Burke in Aliens, and he was a complete and utter dick asshole in Aliens. So every time I see Paul Reiser, I just want to punch him in his face because of Aliens. But I don't have to do that because a xenomorph punched a hole through his head with their little, you know, second mouth thing. So beat me to it. Also starring the, I think I think he just passed away actually. Dean Stockwell uh, is Chip, uh, Quantum Leap, Blue Velvet, and Dune. Uh, Lynch's Dune, so make, makes him a veteran of the podcast. And Jurgen Prochnow as the typical, you know, Eastern European villain of most films was Dent in this as he is a Eastern European villain in this movie. Uh, das Boot, Judge Dredd, and as well as uh, Dean Stockwell, he was the Duke, Duke Leto in Dune. Dean Stockwell was Dr. Yui in Dune. So they shared a lot of screen time in Dune and had a scene together in this one. And last but not least, Gilbert Gottfried is Bernstein. Of course, he was in a film called Problem Child. And he was the second best host of USA Up all night. Of course, next to the second only to the lovely and beautiful Louisiana native, might I add, Rhonda Shear. So there's the cast. Fantastic cast. Uh... Absolutely. And you got a cameo by Hugh Hefner, too, if you want to count that. Chris uh, Rock. This is uh, – oh, oh, I, was, I was in the trivia, actually. Yeah, his first oh, okay. film, Chris Rock's <laughs> first film, actually. Uh, I do have that in the trivia. As my, like, oh, by the way, Chris Rock was in it. Beat me to it. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 2. mention Hefner. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Well, Hefner's dead. I was giving respect to the dead. Oh, right, And then, right. uh, you know, you, you got to – I don't know. Never mind. I was, I was going to go somewhere. I don't want to go. <laughs> It wouldn't have been funny. I was like, you got to honor the dead before you can rock or something. I don't know. I got Didn't work. <laughs> Didn't work at all. But I, I said it anyway. So now you know my failure. <laughs> but anyway, Beverly Hills Cop 2, as far as sequels go, this this is the one I always remember the most of the trilogy. Uh, honestly, I'll tell you why. Because when it came on TV, because the first time I ever saw it was on 
the ABC Saturday Night Movie, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Uh, always the vitamin scene always stuck with me from this movie. I don't know why, but him like sweating, like or pretending like it's like explosive and carrying the vitamins everywhere. I love that's one of my favorite parts of this movie. Uh, but the whole movie's great. Don't get me wrong. But I always, as a child, I always or a young and growing up in the eighties, I always remember this one and like this one better, just for that vitamin scene. So, but uh, rewatching it today for the first time in a very or well, rewatching it earlier this week, I should say, for the first time in a very long time. I, it still holds up. It's still funny. Eddie Murphy is great, and then him teamed up with Reinhold and Ashton as like you know the, the straight men to his you know. You know, the the uh, the lawful good compared to his chaotic good as fully as just it's it's magic. It's it's a very it's very good chemistry between all three of them. They really sell the film. Uh, Bridget Nielsen is a great villainess, uh, obviously. <laughs> uh, mm. It's I mean it's well directed. The action's good, and the the comp the only the only thing this isn't better than part one. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's it's not quite as funny as part one, and that's not a dig against it. It's still very very funny. I think it's just the you know have that Tony Scott direction. The action is a little more serious as opposed to kind of the bombastic comedicness. Mm, excuse me, of the first one, you know, I just got thrown through a window, you know, and the banana, the tailpipe, all that kind of stuff. Little, I think Beverly Hills Cop one's a little more comedy action, if that makes sense, and this one is more action comedy, which uh, you know it still it still combines them the uh, the genres well to me. But this one definitely is maybe like say sixty percent action, uh, or you know that. Well, not really so much uh, ratio. I guess I'm, what I'm saying is, it's just that you know the action is Tony Scott. I mean, we're watching the bank robbery scene from the beginning right now, and I mean this this is Tony Scott directing action, and then the comedy, the, the comedy stuff. I mean, he's not really a comedic director, to be honest. You know, I mean, what I'm trying to think of a comedy that he did. I don't think he did any comedies except maybe this one. So that's why maybe the action carries greater weight or greater seriousness to it in uh, part two, as opposed to part one. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't say it's better. It's, it's just more, it's, it's as enjoyable for sure, but it really just depends on kind of, I guess almost your mood. I mean, they make a great double feature cause they just go, you know, you're saying goodbye to him. Axel goes back to Detroit for a little bit. And then this case happens in LA. So he's back, back in Beverly Hills, uh, avoiding the wilderness girls from true Beverly Hills. Mm. Uh, so, I'm sure I make a reference there. Yeah, it didn't work. Screw it. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I I really enjoyed watching it again. It was it was almost like watching it for the first time because I haven't seen it in so long. But uh, the second the vitamin scene happened, it's like, oh my god, I cannot believe I forgot about this. This was so damn funny to me as a kid. Hmm. Uh, that particular scene, and then like uh, again, all the all the all the antics he gets into uh, over the course of this case and. You know, solving the crime, all that kind of stuff. Very enjoyable and totally still a, still a great movie uh, for the most part. And try not to repeat myself too, too much like I typically tend to do. But Jesse, we did talk about it before. You didn't get a chance to rewatch this one I did. before the podcast. But uh, have you, had you, had you remember seeing it before or are you familiar with it at all from back in the day? Or Yeah, I'm trying to watch these scenes to refresh my memory, but it's not coming to me. Yeah, which is completely understandable. Also, because honestly, like there's certain like the vitamin part, like honestly, before I rewatched it, and you asked me what part is that from, uh, I would probably I might even guess one, just because. I mean, I'm not I don't watch these all three of these all the time. I mean, I watch part one every now and then, and like I said, just watch this one again for the podcast. Have not seen it in forever, uh, but this one will be more in my rotation, so to speak, because uh, 
I really enjoyed this one, but they do kind of, without being, you know, as familiar or being adjacent to the the series, so to speak. Because I don't know if I, I mean I'll eventually watch three again. I just remember not liking it. Like it just didn't seem like the magic was there. But I don't need to revisit that one. You know, for maybe nineties revisited uh, when we get to that point. But anyway, uh, they're very they do kind of blend together in some parts. Like you could almost take a scene and put it in the original just in terms of, which is a good thing. I'm not saying that's a dig towards either one of them. It just shows the cohesiveness of the series, especially between these two. But like I said, I can't say that can, you know, with a, with a definitive yes, if that continues with three, because I don't remember. I just remember him like the theme park at the end of three is like all I really remember and him blowing up like a merry-go-round or something. And I think John Landis directed that one, if I'm not mistaken from our twilight zone talk so i kind of don't want to watch it <laughs> just kidding i watch it totally for eddie murphy because he's great uh but yeah i think so it's for, bottom line is it's a it's a great sequel it, it does up the ante in terms of you know you have your the good guys getting like shot up like ronnie cox gets shot up you know they all get shot out shot at and uh eddie murphy doesn't get shot in this one he, he was injured at the end of the first one if i remember correctly but he doesn't get shot and uh neither does judge reinhold or john ashton but you know they, they take ronnie cox out pretty quick so you know it's personal personal got to he's got to solve this case which is fine you know not, not complaining you know it's not but it's not you know this isn't citizen kane there's no there's no depth <laughs> there's no deep deep story there to it but it's the plot is absolutely serviceable to what you want to see in the movie and that's what i'm kind of harping on or trying to trying to say in less words that too late uh what i'm trying to do so bottom line it's enjoyable i think i've said bottom line twice so but officially this is the bottom line it's a great sequel, worth watching, worth your time if you haven't seen it in a long time. Or if you've never seen it, if you've just seen the first one. Absolutely, highly recommend this one. Great sequel. Great 80s aesthetic to it with the cars and, you know, mm-hmm. just the just the kind of the look of it. You know, it, it really has that, really captures that kind of 80s vibe a lot with it. And then, uh, you know, the rocket, the, the the guns even. You know, they got, they got Uzis and the M16s and those, you know, two rocket launchers and stuff that you, you know, from all the 80s movies. <laughs> all that outdated tech uh, so it's it's really enjoyable. Like I said, Murphy sells it every scene he's in, and the combination, the chemistry with him and Judge, Judge Reinhold and John Ashton, really, really great. This is one that needs a sequel for sure. Even if you want to make it a legacy sequel, bring in uh, Michael B. Jordan as his son or something, who's a cop too, and he's in L.A. But Axel's still in Detroit, and then maybe you know Judge Reinhold gets you know one of the old guy, other guys gets you know involved in something and needs help, or you know just do a typical '80s cop plot, but in today. And, uh, you know, bring it, bring it back. I mean, this is a series that definitely, especially where we're at now with, you know, I think Hollywood's really kind of getting, I say Hollywood, but I think a lot of leg, you know, legacy sequels, so to speak, are getting kind of that groove and finding what to do to kind of make it, you know, to transition is a better way. Like Ghostbusters Afterlife, perfect passing of the baton. Scream uh, or Five Cream, uh, whatever you want to call it. Same thing, like, it, it you know, the character, the the OG character story is over. You know, it took the Star Wars sequels, all three of them, to get there. Force Awakens should have done it in the first one, and we'd have been off to the races. Uh, well, this is not a Star Wars podcast, and honestly, I, I do like the sequels, uh, but some people <laughs> are really, really mad about it. But anyway, some of the trivia behind the scenes uh, for Beverly Hills Cop Two, and according according to the DVD documentary, they originally wanted to do a TV series, not a sequel. Uh, but based on the box office, good thing they didn't. But Eddie Murphy said, nope, not going back to television. So they made a sequel instead. And again, based on the worldwide box office and domestic box office, that was the right choice. 
uh, back when back in, in 87, when Eddie Murphy could do no wrong, everything he touched was gold. He was a golden child, literally, and in a movie a few years earlier. Or maybe after, I'm not sure. Uh, the license plate in the car on the car that appears in this one is 2GAT123. It also appears in L.A. Story, Go, Pay It Forward, Traffic, Crazy Beautiful, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, SWAT, Life with Eddie Murphy, and Two and a Half Men. It's kind of a standard fictional license plate in California, similar to the, you know, when you hear, like, oh, what's the number in the movie? Oh, it's 555-3784. Fake number. Doesn't exist. But that's a license plate that consistently shows up in films. So if you're ever on Jeopardy, hmm. two GAT, one, two, three. There you go. Uh, I thought it's an uh, interesting connection here, too, because in Rosewood, uh, Judge uh, Reinhold's apartment, he has a poster of Rambo First Blood Part Two, and you clearly see it in a, one of the uh, shots uh, when uh, I think Taggart's talking, or maybe he, Reinhold's talking to him, which you clearly see it in the background, which, of course, at this time, Stallone's wife, Bridget Nielsen, is in the film, and Stallone was the original choice, if you remember back on our original Beverly Hills Cop episode, to star in Beverly Hills Cop, but when he, but the reason he didn't, to refresh your memory, was he did a polish on the script, he made it more action, took out pretty much the comedic element. He basically made it Cobra, because mm. he changed the name from Axel Foley to Axel Cabretti <laughs> in the script. <laughs> so we did get Stallone's version of Beverly Hills Cop, and it's called Cobra, and it's nowhere near as good as Beverly Hills Cop. 100%. Uh, you know, what if universe? Well, we do kind of get to see what would have happened. And it wasn't, you know, Cobra's a fine for an 80s film. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we're near Stallone's best. But Murphy and Beverly Hills Cop obviously was the, the correct choice and not making it, you know, full on action. Because, uh, I mean, there's really nothing funny in Cobra that I can even think of. <laughs> Except I think you like there was some we made fun of, like he ate pizza. Some that was funny. I, I remember there was something silly that happened in that movie that wasn't even meant to be funny. But we riffed on for a bit. Go watch the episode. And let me know uh, if you want to, because it's not that important to me. <laughs> but if it's important to you, by all means, check it out. Uh, and strangely enough, because Stallone, Stallone worshipped Bridget, Nice, Bridget, Brigitte, Jesus, Brigitte Nielsen when they were married. He like really like was obsessed with her. Uh, however, her and Tony Scott had a little fling during the filming of this movie. And of course, Stallone and Nielsen divorced, uh, not too long, uh, after this, not just cause I mean, they just worked. It just didn't work out. Hmm. Uh, Tony Scott, speaking of the devil, wanted Hans Zimmer to score the film, but Paramount insisted that they bring back Walter Mayer for the sequel, which is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, you know, it's kind of like, bring back Harry Manfredini from Friday the 13th back to, you know, do the score for it, which he didn't come back for all of them, but you know, they always use, you know, it's always original score by, cause they always use a kick, 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 mop. Cause believe me, a Beverly Hills Cop movie without Axel F. It's not a Beverly Hills Cop movie. But anyway, so, uh, although, you know, Hans, Zimmer, of course now Hans Zimmer at the time, that goes to show you how revered he is now because Hans Zimmer today does everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dune is his, his recent one. I mean, he's, oh, he, I think he did uh, the Nolan Batman films. I think. Yep. I mean, he's, he does. I mean, basically, because a lot of you know, John Williams uh, does stuff for Spielberg, and uh, what's his name? Uh, oh God, I drew a blank. James. Oh man, the one that died in the car in the plane crash. Oh God, Horner, I'm totally right. blanking on his name. What was that? James Horner. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Gee, thank you, yeah. Jesse. God, total blank on his last name. James Horner. You know, he's not around anymore. Uh, so, like, kind of the, the big names right now in, in scores, for the most part, well, 
I guess the three big ones would be John Williams, obviously because of his past work. Hans Zimmer might be number one, and then uh, the guy that does Game of Thrones. Like, there's a ton of soundtracks now. Yeah, uh, I will. I will massacre his name if I say it's like raw, raw we. It's like a. I say it's a, maybe like an Arabic kind of name. I, I can't think. I'm trying to pull it up on my iTunes right now because I, <laughs> I can't. But he does like everything. Uh, he did, uh, I think, Westworld. He has a lot of video game soundtracks. Game of Thrones. Show me his name, iTunes. Uh, Ramin Djawadi. Maybe it's Indian, not Arabic. Apologies to Ramin. He does a ton of – he's on everything now too. So those might be the big three right now. Uh, so, yeah, but at, but in 87, the studio said, nope, get Faltermeyer, which, again, he did Top Gun. He did Beverly Hills Cop, two of the most iconic themes. He's got two in his bag, iconic ones. A lot of, and I'll be honest, Hans Zimmer is an amazing composer, don't get me wrong, but a lot of his stuff sounds very, very similar. Mm. Let's be honest. Uh, but nevertheless, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, you know, that droning sound. Mm. But uh, Bronson Pinchot was slated to reprise his role as Sergei from the first film, but he was busy filming Perfect Strangers, one of the greatest comedies that's not on any streaming service for some reason. I would love to rewatch that entire series because I have nothing Wait, but fond it? memories of how Wait, I've been watching that sure. recently. Oh, really? Perfect. Strangers. Please. I want to say it's on Peacock or something like that. Uh, I just canceled it because I watched <laughs> the Royal Rumble and Elimination Chamber right. and canceled it. I got WrestleMania coming up. But if up, it is, so. that would, yeah, I had to burn through the whole se- all series in a month. Maybe. Watch free on IMDb TV. Oh, last I was helping on my TV. Uh, I have to watch it on my computer. They might have streaming oh, possibilities. I don't know. Oh, you know what? I think they do have an app for that. But I have an L- my smart TVs are LG, and LG still doesn't even have Peacock. I have to watch Peacock on my PlayStation Five because LG just doesn't put. Like the apps, the streaming apps for you to be able to watch shit. It's fucking annoying. But yeah. Because I remember when Disney Plus came out, I was like, I hope to God that, you know, we already paid for the year. It better be on the smart TV. And thankfully, like Disney Disney Plus on launch day was on LG TV. So the next Mm. smart TV I get probably will not be an LG just because of the uh, functionality of the apps or uh, the the, having the apps, I should say, on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. where was I? Oh, yeah. Axel introduces himself at the gun club as Richard James. Kind of an in-joke to Rick James, uh, Eddie Murphy's uh, friend and also producer of Eddie Murphy's 1986 album. So, Rick James, bitch. Uh, this was the first movie to ever film at the Playboy Mansion. So, they drive up. That scene in the backyard, that's all there. All filmed on location at the actual Playboy Mansion. And that was the first time anybody got a look behind those doors. Hmm. And I thought this was this was probably the most surprising fact or th- uh, behind the scenes thing about this movie. Uh, Shakedown by Bob Seger is his only number one hit single <laughs> on the Billboard Hot 100 uh, from this film. Uh, nominated for an Oscar, by the way, for uh, and a Golden Globe for the song as well. But yeah, it was his only number one hit single, which blows my mind because it's Bob fucking Seger. Uh, Jesse, top of your head, favorite Bob Seger song? Uh, Shakedown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say old time of rock and roll. <laughs> I'll go with that one. Shakedown is a good song, though, to be perfectly honest. It's a, it's a really good song. 
and as I mentioned before, as you mentioned before, Jesse, I should say, stealing my thunder. Chris Rock makes an appearance as the valet at the Playboy Mansion who complains about Axel bringing in a cement truck. And that was his first role ever on the big screen. So welcome to Chris Rock for joining mm-hmm. movie stardom, I guess. <laughs> or intro intro to, you know, in comic books, it would be intro and first appearance, Chris Rock. And that would there jack up the value dramatically for the <laughs> for the film. Score wise, this one there I don't I don't have, honestly I don't have any complaints with it personally. I mean it's fine. It's fine. I, w- I wish it was a little bit funnier. Uh, but again, I think it's that's because Scott's balancing you know intense shootouts and gunfights with Eddie Murphy's comedy. So you know not really nothing to fault it with. Uh, but you know again I'm trying to like bring my scores down uh, to keep you know have more of a uh, accurate range to judge them by. Uh, but I give it a seven. Uh, again, nothing wrong with it. Just trying to space out my <laughs> scores a little bit to give some leeway for stuff that's really, 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 really good and stuff that's just really, really good uh, instead of everything being eight and nines. Uh, so, yeah, give it a seven. No, no, tell you, no, no, tell you what. 7.5. 7.5. I'll give it that, uh, which is, you know, that's a really good score on the tray, in the tray world. <laughs> Mm. Pretty much, uh, I think anything on this podcast that's five or under is bad. And there's honestly, we probably count those on one hand, maybe two, uh, probably two hands, I should say, because uh, of course we we picked them. I picked the movies, so except except when we did uh, list, uh, listener request month. So uh, yeah, I picked the movies I want <laughs> I want to watch. <laughs> so that's a little bit biased, but yeah, seven point five, great sequel, great cast. Trey says check it out if you haven't. It's a good time. Uh, in the real world, again, this released May 20th, 1987. On May 17th, three days before, the USS Stark, not the USS Tony Stark, just the USS Stark, was hit by two Iraqi-owned Exocet AM-39 air-to-surface missiles. I don't, I don't even remember hearing this as a kid, which uh, we were hit by Ira- Iraqi-owned missiles and didn't go to war in 87. <laughs> I did some research on it, and here's what I found out. Uh, well, first off, the, the first missile actually penetrated the hull of the ship, but failed to detonate. Thank goodness. However, the second entered at almost the exact same point, left a 3 by 4 meter, which is 10 by 13 feet for us Americans, gash, and it exploded in probably the worst part of the ship. It exploded in the crew quarters. Uh, killed 37 sailors, injured 21. Now, it's unknown whether, the, whether Iraqi leaders authorized the attack, but initial claims by the Iraqi government... Uh, was that the Stark was inside the Iran-Iraq war zone uh, were shown to be false uh, on hindsight, and the motives and orders of the pilot remained unanswered. However, American officials have claimed that the pilot was executed, but an ex-Iraqi Air Force commander later said that the pilot who attacked the Stark was not punished and is still alive to this day. So, very interesting. Didn't, I didn't know anything about that until I uh, was reading about that. So, very interesting. We do have a couple of bursts and one death. Again, May 20th was when the movie came out. Two days after this, uh, anti-vaxxer and person whose I comment I made about got us considered woke on our reviews, uh, no, uh, Djokovic, uh, Novak Djokovic, was born. Serbian tennis player, May 22nd. Uh, and then the day after, somebody who I'm totally on board with, Bray Wyatt, American <laughs> professional wrestler, was born. And also the son of IRS and brother of Bo Dallas. Uh, as well. So, although he, I don't think he signed anywhere right now, so I don't know. I miss Bray Wyatt. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, I thought he was posed for superstardom and still could be got buried. 
Yeah. They had to keep losing. He kept losing as a problem. Yeah. Uh, oh, I thought the Fiend gimmick was great. It was like, you know, Undertaker's not wrestling. He can feel that void. He can. He's the one. He's got the look. Sister Abigail's great. It, uh, I think it's a great finisher. I like, you know, I, one thing I like about that finisher is that it's kind of like the RKO. It can, can kind of come out of nowhere. He, he did some impressive, like, kind of catching people with it. And, like, like, I remember he caught, like, Ray Mysterio out of the air with it. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> grabbed him and pulled him down and did it. Amazing. Uh, great wrestler. But also, some sad news. Died. Again, movie came out May 20th, six days earlier on May 14th. Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption passed away. Born in 1918, passed away May 14th, 1987. Hollywood legend and hider of the hole at mm. first in the Shawshank Redemption. Right. Until uh, I think Raquel Welch was the last one. when uh, the, I think it was when uh, the warden threw the rock through it, mm. if I remember correctly, which is getting rarer and rarer these days. Mm-hmm. But that's age. <laughs> And, of course, we're celebrating Black History Month in our last episode of February. Uh, first month, we talked about kind of the first half of the 80s, some big notable events. Last, uh, last week, we talked about uh, Richard Pryor and his contributions to comedy and cinema and everything else. And uh, some other stuff that happened more in the later half of the 80s. Uh, Beloved by Toni Morrison was published in 87. And in 2006, a survey of writers and literary critics ranked it as the best work of American fiction in the last 25 years. And, of course, uh, she did numerous masterworks and Toni Morrison was awarded the Nobel prize for literature. Uh, 88 saw the first major um, African-American gangster rap album NWA's don't ask me what it stands for straight out of Compton. Uh, and of course, I think we talked about it on the podcast, I believe a couple weeks ago or at some point I talked to somebody recently about this. So I hope it was the podcast, but uh, you know, in the, in the late eighties, early nineties is we had that kind of parallel, that dual movement in music. You had gangster rap, and you had grunge kind of coming up at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, two, you know, um, incredibly gigantic shifts in music happened all at the same time and started right there at the end, the tail end of the 80s. Uh, in 88, uh, Flojo, Florence Griffith Joyner, uh, won three gold and one silver medal at the 88 Summer Olympics. We just finished the winter or we're about to finish the Winter Olympics here. And at the time, her medal hall was the second most for a tre- female track and field athlete in history. And I do believe she passed away uh, a while back, unfortunately. And uh, finally, Ron Brown was oh, a couple of political things. Ron Brown was elected chairman of the democratic national committee in 89, becoming the first African-American to lead a major U S political party. And Colin Powell in 89 as well was appointed as the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff. And he did pass away not too long ago as well. So that kind of does it for uh, our coverage. Hope everybody learned something good today, something they can carry with them and learn something from. Uh, with our coverage of Black History, and always remember, contributions come from all shapes, sizes, and colors, and they should all be appreciated. Uh, back to the future this week, Jesse. Did you see, watch, play, do anything? <laughs> uh, I watched the series you mentioned. Uh, the music movement. I watched a series called The Defiant Ones. Uh, oh, what's that? This was also on Peacock recently. It's about uh, Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Uh, their oh. rise through throughout history, and they talk to like. Bono, Stevie Nicks, uh, Eminem, just talking I, to everybody. It's it's very good. I think I might have seen that. That sounds so familiar. Yeah, it came out in uh, 2017. Okay, uh, I, do, I think I wa- did watch that a long time ago. Yeah, it was interesting to see it from a producer's side, because you never hear from them. You always hear from the stars. And, yeah. uh, you know, how big of a part they have behind the scenes is uh, pretty cool. Because that's kind of where I am, you know. 
on the producer. Yeah, absolutely. Not of this, yeah, not of just this, but yeah, all over the place. Um, that's what I do. So it was, absolutely. Yeah, kind of neat to see how they rise. The, they make the artists rise up to be better than they mm-hmm. are. But yeah, absolutely. It was good. That's um, why, like, you know, people want to work with you know certain producers like Jimmy Iovine, Dr. Dre. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? The uh, Rick. Oh my God. Jay Z, Johnny Cash, Rick uh, with the beard. <laughs> God damn, I can't remember anybody's exactly. name today. No, yeah. I think Rick, they call him Rick, Rick with the beard. Uh, yeah, that's it. Rick Rude. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah, work I with wish. Him. <laughs> hey, hey, great technician in the ring, great heel, even, my good mic skills. Yeah, even wrestling matches have producers. So it's hey, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Rick that's Rubin. it. That's the name. Yeah. That's what I was trying to think of. You know, a lot of producers out there. You know that, and and that's a really good point too, because especially in like music, mm-hmm. you know, on on film, your producers are, you know, basically just running the money, and they'll give their input, obviously. But you know, in music, the producer is integral mm-hmm. a lot of the time, if not every time, to the sound and you know what you get out of the artist. So that you know, like you said, it's absolutely underappreciated, of course, in the public because you know you don't see who's producing Adele's new record or right, you know. Whatever yeah. you know, you they just, can make or break it's a hit. Focus is on them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I did watch a shit ton. Of, well, I say a shit ton. <laughs> several movies since last week, including I've upped my count of best picture nominees to three. Mm. Uh, first off, though, I did see the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix, and I don't. I'm a. I'm a, I'm a horror guy. I love horror movies, and it's been torn apart <laughs> on every horror group that I'm in. And the first 30 minutes of it, I'm like, this is stupid. This is so stupid. But then once the chainsaw revs, it's pretty damn fun. So uh, I don't think it's as bad as you might be hearing online, but it's not as good as you're hearing online. It's not a good movie. It's a fine sequel to a film that really should never have had a sequel, except maybe part two. Part two was fine. But uh, the new one on Netflix, if you're looking for an old school kind of slasher that takes 30 minutes to get there, you're in the right place. Also, but uh, speaking of Best Picture winners, or nominees, I should say, I uh, made the mistake of watching Licorice Pizza by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, what a shitty movie. I have no... I th- this movie is only nominated, in my opinion, because Paul Thomas Anderson makes a movie. It gets nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I thought, it, I, based on the title, I had no clue what this movie was about. It's about a 15-year-old dude trying to get with a 25-year-old girl. So it's pretty creepy the whole fucking time to me. Uh, again, I don't see the deal with it. It's There's a couple... Oh, oh I'll tell you... Okay. Bradley Cooper plays uh, a producer, a real-life producer who was married to, or dated Barbara Streisand for a while. I forget his name. When Bradley Cooper shows up an hour and 40 minutes into this movie, I hate to say... His care, I would watch a whole, I wish the movie was just about his character. He is, Bradley Cooper is the only reason to watch this movie, in my opinion. I did not like this movie. I don't understand why it's nominated for Best Picture, except for the fact, because it's Paul Thomas Anderson, and the dude shits on a plate, and it's nominated for Best Picture. (laughs) I don't get it. Again, if you like it, that's awesome. I did not care for this movie at all. Overrated. Don't get it whatsoever. And then just last night, me and my wife watched, thankfully, on Netflix... Best Picture nominee, Power of the Dog with Doctor Strange and uh, Mary Jane from Spider-Man. Uh, Raimi's Kirsten Dunst. I should have said Claudia from Interview of Vampire. That would have been better. 
and uh, her husband, uh, what's his name, uh, Jesse Plemons, mm-hmm. the worst villain I've ever seen in a movie from Jungle Cruise. Now this one, the be- beautifully shot. the The first half of this movie score is great. The score is great at first, but it's slow. It's like I- I'm all fine for a slow burn, but you really it doesn't go anywhere until like the last five minutes. Uh, ben, a great Benedict's great in it. Uh, I could see him, you know, being a contender for best actor. Although I think uh, Denzel's nominated for Macbeth, and I still think about that performance a lot uh, from what I've seen, at least. Uh, but it's it's like a it's a western drama. It's it's it, there's nothing necessarily bad about it. It's definitely like an Oscar kind of movie, if that makes any sense. But uh, and it's based on a book too. But. Uh, when you see where it's going, it's like, okay, I see where it's going. And then it just, it's just like, and, and boom, it's over. It's like, uh, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, again, nothing wrong with it. Just, I will never watch it again. Uh, it's not very exciting. It's a very, very slow burn. I think it, it, both it and licorice pizza are like two hours and 15 minutes. Again, you don't need to make a movie longer than you need to Hollywood. Why do you, why do you do this? Remember the eighties? Every movie was like 90 minutes. It was great. <laughs> It was so great. Uh, you can watch two movies in a night instead of one. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, of the three that I've seen, Licorice Pizza, Power of the Dog, and Dune, Dune is the one that I would watch again. I will never, ever watch Licorice Pizza again. I think it's garbage. Again, just my opinion. And Power of the Dog, I think it's well made. It does, I can see why it got nominated. I don't see anything wrong with it, so to speak. Uh, but it's not a movie. I'm going to watch again. Don't, you know, it didn't inspire me to read the book. Nothing like that. Uh, just, man. And if you want to, you know what? If you, if you think you want to watch Licorice Pizza, I'll tell you what. Go watch Dazed and Confused. It's better. That's, <laughs> it's like, it, it's trying to be a, an artful Dazed and Confused. I don't know. It's just, it's just so like, sm- the movie, sm- Licorice Pizza, it's smug. It's just smug. I don't know, man. I did not like it. I was just like, like legit. Bradley Cooper shows up and I'm like, okay, th- now this is great. Everything involving his character, which is 10 minutes of a two hour and 14 minute movie, I think two hours and 14, uh, that, you know, the 14 minutes that he's in it, I'll call, I'll give him, I'll give it an extra four is fantastic. It's entertaining and fun. Everything else just like, God, where, what is this movie about? What is it about? How is this happening? Didn't care for it. Uh, and then also, uh, video game wise horizon zero dawn. Well, it's not horizon zero dawn Two. it's horizon forbidden West came out. I love the first one. We mentioned it was coming out last week, I think. I'm about 10 hours in. Best looking game I've ever played in my life. Super, you know, More of the same from the first one, but refined and perfected. Super awesome. So if you've got a PlayStation 5 or PS4 Pro, check it out. Hmm. Uh, no emails, nothing to talk of. Oh, but we'll get into there. We're getting to the next section, I should say. Uh, email. Of course, send us an email. Let us know what you think. What did you think of licorice pizza? I think it was uh, shitty pizza. Is what I would call the movie. Uh, 80s Revisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast on Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. And shout out to our good friend John and Lafayette with his Cajun Toy Review uh, YouTube channel. If you want to see some uh, toy reviews with a Cajun accent, uh, uh, go give him a watch and a like. And then, of course, the BAMCast and uh, TCW star Doomslayer. And our good friend down there, down under, Ben Wyatt. And big, big congratulations to Ben and Cody on their engagement. Yep. 
uh, I think last week by the time of this recording. So big congratulations. Well wishes to you from California and Louisiana. Uh, good luck. Stay, stay safe. I don't know where. Uh, change that name. Uh, oh, yep. Appease <laughs> 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 uh, Jesse and change the name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh leave a review good or bad you know if, if it's bad just say why and be not you know be, be honest don't don't misquote me by saying i was saying something about murdering people which was completely misquoted as stated last episode you know give an honest review with with you know correct uh attention to what was said never have a problem we'll talk about it like adults something very uncommon these days in mm-hmm. the world to talk about something like adults so anyway next week we return with a second symptom of sequelitis as King Kong lives, excuse me, lives. Hmm. You know, that's li- lives is a very odd word. Mm-hmm. Just a real quick tangent. You, you know, like honestly, like because you have the band live. Yeah. You go see bands bands perform live. You know, when I first saw live, you know, there's I don't know, is there any other word like that that has there's no like accent or umlaut or over live or live. So it's all live is the live slash lives the only like truly. I mean, it's completely contextual in terms of what it is, you know? So different. And live and live kind of mean the same thing. <laughs> it's just different enunciations. So, you know, King Kong lives. King, King Kong, Kong lives, lives matter. <laughs> King Kong lives. Uh, you know, in the band Live, I was never like, like, oh, it's live. They're live. I just always called them live. Just inherently, oh, this is music. It's live. And then... You know, I never, I never heard an interview with him go, oh, yeah, uh, our band's called Live. Also, terrible name for a band because you can't find anything. <laughs> like when you search live band, guess what? That's every fucking band in the world. So anyway, <laughs> short little tangent there to finish out the episode. So watch King <laughs> Kong Lives for next week. And let me know what you think of the word live <laughs> or live. I don't care. Whichever one you prefer. Wind and it's wind, like wound and wound. Oh, um, oh, that, okay. Bow, 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 and bow and bow. bow. Yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> sewer, uh, what's the sewer? Sewer, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, close and close. Mm. Um, excuse. I was way off. Excuse. Polish, Polish, Polish. Well, Polish would be capitalized, so that doesn't count. Yeah, lead, right? lead. Mm-hmm. Um, graduate, graduate. Uh, I don't know if does. Well, see, like grad, graduate, and graduate are like kind of like they mean close. like they're, yeah. like they're, they're 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 close like lives and live like that's very close like wound and wound totally two different things. But Not- so grad the graduate and graduate is definitely another one like in, in terms of what I was kind of getting at with how like they almost mean. They're like they're the same sport. Yeah, you know to quote Jules from Pulp Fiction. Uh, I'm sorry, they're in the same ballpark. (laughs) These other ones are the same sport. I should say that's what I meant to say. So yeah, there's there's some other ones out there. Yeah, number, number, dove, dove. (laughs) Yeah, see, one's a bird. Yeah, one's a bird. (laughs) Yeah. So there are there are some out there, but at least of those graduate graduate. The dove dove live. from the sky. Because <laughs> he the the live dove dove from the sky to live. 
Oh, boy. We'll just write a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> it writes itself. Now, anyway. All right, everybody. We'll see you next <laughs> week for King Kong Lives. <laughs> Until then, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! <laughs> <laughs> Terrible Eddie Murphy impression. I'm sorry. <laughs>